Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 5. Most of you, or many of you in here, uh, don't remember the early days of the internet, but I remember standing in front of the church I was serving at the time and uh, commenting to them on a Wednesday night Bible study where I'd just come from the house watching TV a little bit, and uh, so I commented to them that I had already had it up to here. I was sick of seeing these TV commercials where they said, find us at www.nobodycares.com, okay? But that was a long time ago, and it was the early days of advertising, and the internet was fresh and young, and uh, I was kind of stuck in the old patterns. Some of you are too old to remember that, but many of you are old enough now and savvy enough now that you're about up to here with the hashtag, who gives a rip, (laughs) right? Um, So maybe let me just do a public service announcement here, okay? Um, You probably should get used to the hashtag, grow up and accept it. All right, because the hashtag is one of those things like www.whatever that you probably need to make peace with because it might just be here for a while. And one of the reasons that it might just be here for a while is because it has a real purpose to it. Now, our teenagers understand this, our college students get this, so y'all can take a break for a little bit. I don't know where you sit anymore now. You used to be right here, but uh, whatever the case, they get this. So for the rest of us, let me bring you up to speed in case you don't know what hashtag whatever means, okay? Social networking is the order of the day, all right? We find ways now because, well, you know, newsprint is not what it used to be. It's a, it's a thing, a dying breed, newspapers and that kind of stuff. And uh, even television news is, so, news is so partisan that you, you know, you kind of pick and choose that, but you only get what they give you. You don't really have much say-so in that. And so social media has come along and found a way for you to tailor-make the information that comes at you. And that's part of what the hashtag, I guess I should have started by saying, if you're old enough that when you see this tic-tac-toe board and words after it, the tic-tac-toe board is now the hashtag, okay, uh, or the pound sign, whatever you want to call it, but it, what it is, it's a way that you can determine what kind of information comes to you and you can target it. For instance, you remember last year, or it's actually this year, but last spring, and Boston and the Boston Marathon and there was a terrorist bombing at the finish line of that race. You remember that? Okay. Well, I was at home watching as they were trying to catch the guys. There were two guys. They, at the time, we didn't know necessarily that they were brothers, but they, we knew they were chasing these guys, and the chase was on, and I was glued to the television set as that was all happening, and I wanted to see them catch them and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but you know how that goes. It kind of grinds to a halt, and they start showing the same pictures over and over and the same word. And so, but fortunately, Teresa came and said, we need to go do such and such. And so I had to leave the television set, and as I left, I took my phone and the Twitter account that is on there, and I went to hashtag Boston bombing. And so even though I was away from the television set, I was able to watch the trend, okay, that's part of what that does by putting a hashtag and whatever words after it, you can see what's trending, what other people are talking about, and how you can follow whatever that trend or that topic is. So I was following 
the Boston bombing trending that was going on. And so I was getting all these reports and some of them were from people in Boston. Hey, the cops just went down my street. And another one, they said, used boat for sale. Uh, you know, some of those kind of things. And so I was seeing on Twitter because of the hashtag trend that I was following, I could see almost moment by moment what was happening that I couldn't get because I wasn't in front of the TV. Okay. Trending is a key word here for you. Now, that's a long way to introduce a title of a sermon, but actually the title of the sermon is the best way that I could capture what happens in this particular passage of Scripture as it relates to what happened in the first century with a guy named Simon Peter all the way through history. Because the reality is that if you're going to look at Jesus Christ, you will find this continuing trend that he always is about changing lives. Hashtag life change ahead. And you'll find that I'm going to use that a lot as we go forward in different social media kind of stuff because I want us always to remember that Jesus Christ is in the life-changing business. And most people that I meet, they could use some change in their life. So look at Luke chapter 5. Now what I want to do today is a different approach with the way I approach the sermon itself and the preaching of the sermon. It's more of a uh, kind of sit in with me in my own personal devotion studies as I walk through passage of scripture. And, and so it's a little less of a formal sermon, a little more of a kind of a narrative approach. And uh, so as we come to this, we're looking at the story where Simon Peter has his life totally changed. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, And on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, that is Jesus, by the way, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. When they had done this, then closed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Life change ahead. This was a day in the life of Simon Peter that when he started, I feel relatively sure he never dreamed it would end the way he did. There's good message for that in us. So what I want to do now is let's just kind of walk through it. I'd like to maybe apply a little sanctified imagination, okay? That's another way of saying that I want to look at this and kind of try to put myself into the situation and think thoughts that I think I would in there and maybe think them out loud here and get you, at least trigger you to put yourself into the situation and how would you respond with what's going on. And in the midst of that, we're going to find that there's significant spiritual truth for us as it relates to how we live our lives 
each day. So the opening scene, as we find it here, as we come to this passage in verse 1, we remember all that we've looked at. I'm not going to take the time to go back and rehearse all of that. But in the opening scene of verse 1 here, the sun is coming up on the Sea of Galilee. Now, I know that probably I should stop here and let you know that we call it the Sea of Galilee. Most of the time, Scripture calls it the Sea of Galilee. But Luke, at this point, adopts the name that was common to the day. During that day, it was less likely they would call it the Sea of Galilee and more the Lake of Gennesaret, which is what we find here in these few verses. The reason for that is because the land just off to the side of this lake was called the province or the land of Gennesaret, and so it's just the lake that's close to that. Sea of Galilee, lake, whatever, it's a big body of water, not like a huge sea. It's really a lake. But it's around this northern shore of that lake where Jesus' life is being lived out in these early days of his ministry. And from time to time, as we go through Luke's gospel, it'll bounce, he'll, he will bounce down into the central part and towards Jerusalem and into Jerusalem. But at this point, his ministry is concentrated up in the north around this lake. So the sun's coming up. See, where they find themselves here, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, and you can go pick it. A map up sometime, maybe in the back of your Bible, you can see it there. But Capernaum is located there in that northern part of it. Um, and between this town of Tagba and this town of Capernaum, the landscape slopes down hard from the hillsides down to the water. And there's a couple of places there where it's kind of a natural little amphitheater. And so that's where we find this scene opening up. These disciples, or they're not disciples yet, they're just fishermen at this point, but their boats have been pushed up on the shore. They've been fishing all night long. That's probably the first thing we really need to get a handle on here is these, this is first century, okay? They didn't have the benefit of the fishing gear that we have with line that's invisible in the water and that kind of thing. So they're fishing with nets. And these nets are large enough and the ropes are large enough that they, if they fish during the day, the water's clear enough, the fish can see them and it impacts what kind of take they have. So they've come to learn to fish at night. So when it says here that this happens and they're on the side of the, uh, of the lake there, they've been fishing all night long. They're getting their nets together and all of that kind of stuff. I want you to imagine for just a moment as we go back to where we were last week. I talked about the need for us to retreat and to get away and to hear the voice of God through the hecticness of our lives. Put yourself into this situation. These guys have been fishing at night. Now, I know because of the way, you know, the kind of sportsman that I am, I know why they call this sport, and for them it's a profession, but they call it fishing instead of catching. I know that, okay? The Rotrama way of doing this is you never catch anything. You just go out there and spend time in nature. So these guys have been fishing all night long. We're going to find that they caught nothing in the process. But I want you to think about the process for a moment and put yourself into that boat in the middle of the night out on the Sea of Galilee. I got up this morning pretty early. About 4.30 or so, I went outside. It was one of those clear mornings that no clouds in the sky, but it's just crisp. You know how it is? And it was almost like you could just reach out to the stars and grab one of them. It's a beautiful time of the day, 4.30 in the morning. 
And as I walked out there, I was thinking a little bit about last week and our talk about the need to retreat and to pull back from time to time and how you can be out in nature and you can sense the presence of God sometimes in ways that you never get it in an office. So I was processing through that and I was thinking about this message and I, I kind of went in my mind to those disciples in that boat out on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night, waiting for the nets to fill up, just kind of hanging out while they were fishing. I'm sure that some of them probably nodded off. Sometimes it's hard to stay paying attention, especially in the middle of the night if there's not a whole lot of activity going on. But I can see Peter. As he sits back in that boat, looking up at the stars at night, considering the events of his life of this part of time. You remember what we've looked at. Go back into chapter 4 and you can remember that Jesus now has infiltrated their lives. He's from Nazareth, but he's come over and he's come to Capernaum, that fishing village, that center of commerce for that area. And as he comes over there, he goes into their, um, to their synagogue and he begins to teach. And people are drawn to him because of the power and the authority that his words have. Simon Peter's from that area. He's got a house there. His mother-in-law lives there. And so he's from that area. And so he's very familiar. If he wasn't in the synagogue, he would have heard the reports of the teaching there. And if he didn't hear about their teaching, you know that he heard about Jesus casting the demon out of the guy. And I can just imagine being in that boat in the middle of the night, laying out, just thinking through things. Because there's not much else to do in that situation. And start thinking, who is this guy who showed up and his words are like gold for us? And he casts out demons and even my own mother-in-law who was ill was miraculously healed. Who is this guy who showed up? There's something about the retreat that pulls us out. That helps us to begin to try to make sense of the reality of God in our lives. That's sort of, I think, what we see happening as the curtain rises on this scene. Have you had any of those moments this week? One of the things that I'm glad that doesn't happen with preachers is they don't gauge our performance, if you will, our job capacity on how well people do what preachers suggest you do. Because last week I suggested that you start carving time out of every day just for you and the Lord. Did you do that this week? And as you did that, did you have any of those moments in your week where all of a sudden you just got a sense that God was very real and very present with you? How long has it been since God revealed himself to you in a fresh way? One of those ways where you just walk away going, you know what? I don't even understand it, but I know that God is real. That's some of the picture that I see of these fishermen during the night in that boat. Jesus is alive and he's busy in that area and the buzz of that cannot be denied. So the curtain rises and these guys have finished their job and they're on the side of the lake now and they're getting their nets together, washing, repairing those things. And my suspicion, I'm trying to make it as down to earth as it really happens. Sometimes we, you know, kind of figure that Jesus just materializes out of nowhere stuff. But according to the way Luke writes this, Jesus shows up while these guys are out there working their nets. 
That makes sense. Because if we look at Scripture, as we've done here, we see that there are those times that Jesus goes out in the middle of the, or not in the middle of the night, but in early morning, away from the crowd, away from the city, to a desolate place, Scripture says, and there he spends time with his heavenly Father. I imagine, having stood at a place very close to where this is happening, that Jesus might very well have been up in the side of the hill up there in his time with God as the sun comes up, and he looks down and he sees these fishermen as they're finishing their daily work. So he finishes his time with God and he makes his way down there and he just kind of pulls up a rock and starts talking to these guys. That's the picture that we have here. And as it happens on a regular basis, as they're sitting there talking, people are going about their business. The day has come now and so the sun's up and they're starting to do their thing and these two villages close by and people work in the fields. And so as they're walking down the path, they begin, I suspect, to see Jesus talking to these guys and so they start gathering around. And he starts talking, and when Jesus talks, stuff happens. And maybe they see him, and they remember that hey, he, he's just a guy who healed those people, and maybe he'll do that here, and so they start gathering around. This kind of happened yesterday. We had a work day here. If you want to know who's responsible for the chair fiasco here, it was my idea, okay? So you can kill me if you want to do it. But I had help getting it done, all right? So we had people up here yesterday, and we were working on chairs and working on lights and trying to get stuff done. And by the way, if you were one of the ones who worked yesterday, thank you so much for your time and your energies in helping us to uh, continue as a church to take care of our business here. But as we were doing that, at one point of the day, up here somewhere on the stage, a couple of us sat down, or at least were standing at first and eventually sat down. We just started talking. And the conversation started going towards, you know, the stuff of God in our lives and the role that he has and how we think and and as a couple of us are talking there, somebody else walks up and they hear that and they get in on the conversation and somebody else walks by and hears that and they pull up and somebody comes from the back. And before we know it, we have a group of us sitting there talking, just talking about the stuff of life. That's the picture here. On the side of this lake, early in the morning, crowd begins to be drawn to Jesus. I suspect... Maybe it was one of those question and answer times, a fisherman talking to Jesus and wanting to know what he had to say. And it really is kind of like us. We gather here around the words of Christ every week because he has something to say and it seems to matter to us. There's a reason for that. The reason he has something to say is because he's the one who designed life. If I have an issue with something, let's say I have an issue with my car. If I have an issue with my car in the suspension area, then I'd love to talk to a mechanic, but if I could sit down with a guy who designed that, I could tell exactly what's going on there. There's something about somebody with authority who builds something to be able to explain to us how that's supposed to work. And that's the picture. That's one of the reasons we see all through the Gospels that as Jesus starts talking and teaching, people are just drawn to him. And so the crowd grows. There's a spiritual truth in that for us. People are drawn to life. I I should stop there and let's make sure that that really digs in for us. People are drawn to life. Churches that are just going through the motion. People don't want to go to those churches. 
Let me take it off of the church and let's put it down onto your life. When you are walking with the Lord and he's teaching you about life and things are growing for you and you have this sense of wonder about what God's up to in your life. And there's life there. People are drawn to that. That's God's best plan of evangelism. The Christian people living their faith out on a day-to-day basis in a really rough world. And people are drawn to that because they need the relationship with their maker that only Jesus can give. So it grows. And people are there. Nothing like beginning your day with Jesus. And that's what we find in this particular case. And eventually, though, what happens is the pressure of the day starts taking over. The crowd begins to filter out. And it says that Jesus eventually finishes with his teaching. But before he does that, this crowd gets such a push on him that there's not much space in this little, where we believe this must have happened, not much space there. And so finally Jesus says to these fishermen out there, hey man, let me use your boat. And so he gets in the boat, pushes off just a little bit. And so there's people gathered around a natural little amphitheater there. It's just down the hill from where the Sermon on the Mount was preached. Jesus gets in the boat and he tells them about life. Not a bad way to start the day, I suppose. But it's true for us as well as we come to this point of the story. We haven't even really gotten into the story yet. We're just kind of experiencing a little bit about what it must have been like for these guys. A couple of things about it we need to see. They've been fishing all night long. Jesus has a teaching session there. People are there, but it comes to an end. And then Jesus says to Simon, hey, man, let's go fishing. I want to make sure that we get a handle on this, okay? Um, These guys were commercial fishermen. What they've done in these boats, when we were, Teresa and I were in Israel, there's a museum there in this part of the, of the country, up in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, where they have entombed in this, well, maybe on display, in this museum, a first century fishing boat, one very much like what this must have been, okay? They've dated it back to the first century, and so it could have been one of the ones that those guys were fishing with at that time, but it's at least from that time period. It's roughly 20, 25 feet long, something like that. Uh, and it takes four or five guys in the crew to do it. Now, they can row it or they can put a sail up. And, and so that's what Jesus is in with these guys. They've been out fishing all night long. Don't miss that. Not only have they been fishing, but they've also come in and they've finished the task of putting the nets in order. One of the things my dad used I used to get... Um, disciplined uh, straightly. That's a nice way of saying I got beat by my dad because my dad used to, he had this weird thing about his tools and they were always his tools. They were never our tools or my tools. They were always his tools and dad always used to say to us, your job is not finished until the tools are cleaned up and put away. Some of you heard that before? See, my dad had this thing about having to go and try to find a tool when it was time to use it. Well, that's kind of the picture that we get with these guys, okay? They've been out fishing. The tool of their trade are nets. And so in this particular case, they've gone in. They've taken the nets out of the boat. They've made sure that they're clean and make sure that they're repaired where they're starting to fray and those kind of things. That's all part of finishing the job. So after being up all night long, 
After no fish being caught, which we've seen that through this text, after working through the nets and getting everything together back in the boat, ready for the next day, these guys are ready to go home. Kind of like some of you are out there right now. And Jesus says, Simon, let's go fishing. Now, I'm, I'm intrigued by the way Simon responds to that. Let me take you back to it, just for the record. In verse 4, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and lay down your nets for a catch. I want to say something about that in just a second. But before we get to that, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. In other words, uh, here's the way I think it went down. I kind of think that Simon, remember he's a professional fisherman who caught nothing. There's pressure there now, economically. Secondly... Not to mention what his wife might say to him. We go, you didn't catch anything. And then on top of that, uh, they're tired. And they've done all the work to put everything together for the next day. So it's time to go home and sleep. And Jesus, the carpenter, says, let's go fishing. I, I, if it's me, let me say it that way. I, th- I think it's more than just me because of the way Simon answers him here. But if it's me, I'm a little perturbed at the suggestion. All right? You want to go fishing? Knock yourself out. Go over there. Here's a cast net. Go over there and do a little fishing over there on your own. Jesus is not interested in a little fishing on his own. He's saying to them, go out to the deep water. All right? So somebody's got to row the boat out there. When they get out there, they got to throw those same nets that they just got through working on overboard and let them catch fish, and then they're going to have to pull them back in. It's not the time of the day. And so Simon says, Master, we've done that fishing thing. You ever do that with God? Call him Master and then tell him why he's wrong? I'm afraid I find myself in here way too often. I think that Simon must have thought, really? Are you serious? You're asking us to go fishing? He uses the word master. And yet he acts like he doesn't know what he's talking about. We've done that. We went out last night. We didn't catch anything and yet Jesus is now saying to them, and when he gets it out there, he's going to tell him, throw it over on this side. That, that's like me saying to Mike Martin, let me tell you how to handle your bees. Okay? I don't know bees. Okay? I don't know any of that stuff. It's like me saying to some of our other guys in our church who run blueberries, I, I, let me tell you how to handle your blueberry. I don't know that stuff. So if I start jumping into it and saying, hey, let me tell you how to handle your business, and it's not my business, you're going to look at me and you're going to go, well, you're probably not going to tell me what you think, but you might. But it'll be obvious in the way your face responds to that. And that's the picture I get of Simon Peter sitting here. Jesus, let's go fishing. Simon Peter, man, I can just see him turn his head. Man. Don, well, we've already gone. Didn't work. Sometimes that's where we find ourselves with God, I think. Jesus says, go to the deep water. Now, what this involves now is for them to get offshore enough where they get into the really deep stuff where the bigger fish are, 
By the way, these fish are not that big. Probably, what do we call them, white perch here? I used to call them crappie where I came from. They're not big fish. They're called St. Peter's fish now. Teresa and I had some for lunch while we were over there one day. It's what the staple crop out of the Sea of Galilee is. Go out into the deep water. Throw the nets overboard. It's the middle of the day. They don't fish in the daytime because it doesn't work. They've been fishing all night and it didn't work. Sometimes God is going to say to you, I want you to do something and you're not going to want to do it. This part of how Jesus treats Simon Peter is part of how he deals with us as we go through our lives. Part of the life of being a disciple is to listen for the words and the commands and directives or suggestions that Jesus gives to us. But here's a great truth for you. This is one of those big gold nuggets I want you to hang on to today. When God gives you a directive, as wrong as it may sound to you, the truth that comes with that is obedience always puts you in position to see God do what he does. Let me give you an example of that. Teresa and I, years ago, decided God would be the one that would guide our lives, or at least as best we could as a married couple and as a family. We wanted to do what God told us to do. Now, that didn't happen by accident. That didn't happen easily, for that matter. I remember one morning not long after we got married, God said to me in no uncertain terms, I have my hand on you as a minister of the gospel, and that's what I claim for you in your life. She came into the breakfast room that morning, and I said, oh, we need to talk. She said, what? I said, I think God's called me the ministry. Now, that put her in a position to have to make a choice, okay? I put her in that position because of what God was saying to me. This is my directive to you. You should know something about her and her family. Her mother was the daughter of a preacher. And her mother told her and her two sisters as they were growing up, don't ever marry a preacher, Because if you do, you'll be broke, and he'll never be at home. You'll never see him. So I fooled my mother-in-law, and after we got married is when God called me to the ministry, right? It's for great family relationships. The dynamics are great. So when I walk into her that morning, and we're both young, newly married, and I say, I believe God's calling me to the ministry, she then has to make a decision just like I have to make, which is what are we going to do with what God has told us? And like Simon Peter, we came up with lots of reasons that it made no sense to do that. But here's the reality of it. God, when he gives you a directive like that in your life, and he puts a claim on you in your life, being obedient to that will position you to see God do incredible stuff. Now we're going to jump to the end of the story here for a second. Simon Peter responds appropriately. He follows Christ. And because he, from that point forward, walks with Jesus wherever he goes, look at the stuff that he got to see in life. He got to see healings. He got to see people raised from the dead. He got to see his life changed by this guy. What started as a simple day for Simon Peter actually started in the evening, getting ready to go fish at night. At this point now, he's face-to-face with 
Jesus Christ. And Jesus, this teacher, this local guy who seems to have something going for him, all of a sudden now is making demands of him. One of the problems that people of our time have with Christianity is they don't like God making demands on us. We like to be God. I'll run this show. And so that's why when God says to us, let's go fishing, we say, yeah, I don't have that in my plans today. No. But remember, when we respond to God and who he is, what he calls us to do, it positions us to see incredible work that he does. So we pick it up and we keep moving here. Master, he says... But fortunately for us, Simon Peter's reluctance to do what God said is not final with him. This is the part where I wish I was more like him. I'm a lot like him on the master, but that won't work part of it. I get that. But the, okay, because you said it, I'll do it. That's what Simon says to him. At your word, I'll do it. At the end of the day, the key to being a follower of Jesus Christ is to do what he says. And one of the reasons that we gather around his word and we look and we try to pull it apart and we figure out what it says is because we know that he's telling us how to live. This one who designed life has input for us in life. And so we gather around his word and we listen to his spirit as he speaks to us and it causes us this crisis of decision. Okay, if he says do it, I don't want to do it. But Simon says, but at your word, I will do it. That's the key to following Jesus Christ. And it positions us to see God do incredible things. So Simon says, okay, I don't want to go fishing. But we'll push out to the deep water, like you said, and throw the nets overboard. It's a good time for me to stop and show you one other element of this passage. we got to get, especially for you parents who are here. I want you to put yourself back in the boat, Simon's boat, that is. And you're not Simon this time. Now you're one of Simon's helpers. Simon's the captain of the boat. It's his boat. He's the one who's saying to Jesus, okay, we'll do it. (laughs) Uh, But the problem is he can't do it by himself, so he's got other people in the boat rowing the boat. These guys have been working all night long. These guys didn't catch anything. They've been fixing the nets. They've been doing all that kind of stuff, packing away for tomorrow. This guy, I'm sure one of them said to Simon, hey, man, don't tell him we'll do that. I got a soccer game at 9 this morning. Here's a key truth for you. When you decide... To be obedient to Christ, you're going to drag somebody along with you in the process. Somebody, maybe your wife or your husband, certainly your kids. However you respond to the commands of Christ in your life, somebody's going to be impacted by that. The hard truth is, if you choose to disobey, they're going to be impacted by that too. Wherever you take your relationship with Christ... Somebody goes with you. So maybe it's a good time for a gut check to look down the aisle at those people sitting around you that you call loved ones and ask yourself, what about my relationship with God right now? What is the impact of that on these people that I live my life for? And so they go. And they get in position for this incredible catch. One of the things they tell us about this boat that they found. People in the know and can figure all that kind of stuff out say that the capacity of that boat is about one ton. So in other words, they could hold about a ton's worth of fish. 
The nets that they're using were called trammel nets. They're up to 500 yards long. They would tow them behind them, and it would sweep and catch fish, and then they could pull them all together. Often it would take two boats. That's why we find them here as this net begins to catch all of these fish. And it's more than their boat can handle. They're afraid these professional sailors, fishermen, are afraid their boat's going to sink. And so they call the other boat out and it nearly sinks both of them. That's two tons of fish. Talking about the watch what God can do. Think of for these commercial fishermen the economic windfall that that fishing trip turned out to be. Which makes it even more significant when they get to shore. Verse 11 says, and they left everything and they followed him. That's all because Jesus says to Simon. By the way, Simon at this point says, this guy's bigger than me. This guy's an important dude. He doesn't see him as God's son yet, but he uses a term that is reserved For the aristocracy, for people who are very powerful in positions of real stroke. Curier, Lord, Sir, get away from me. I'm not worthy to be in your presence, is what Simon says. And Jesus' response to him is the same thing it is to you today. I didn't come here to drive you away. I came here to pull you close. And I love the way Jesus says it to him. From this point forward, you're going to be catching men. So let me ask you, you storytellers out there, how many men are you catching in your life with him? The same God who said to Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, you're going to be catching men, says to us, get out into a lost world, a dying world, a hurting world, and give them the good news. Let's pray. It's a simple message, but it's the hardest one we hear. We don't live for ourselves. We have a calling from God. And for Simon Peter, and for you, when the day started, we have stuff in mind of what we want to do. But there's a life change ahead for you when Jesus steps into the mix. So, Lord, we ask that you would do your work now. Change hearts. Draw us close. Give us a passion for telling people the good news of the life change that you bring. Help us to see them in their need. Help us to understand the calling that you've given us. And give us a passion for you and for your heart to draw close to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.